You are listening to Rav Cook on the Haggadah with Yiska Smith, a podcast series from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. For more original Torah content, visit elmad.pardes.org. Welcome to Jewish Soul Food, providing spiritual food and nourishment to the soul, where we may encounter the divine presence within and perhaps hear the soul's unique still small voice, Hakol de Mamadaka. Through the sharing and reflecting on various insights and teachings on the inner dimension of the Torah, gently leading and guiding each of us on the sweet path of authentic living. Currently, we are exploring some of Rav Cook's illuminating insights on the Haggadah Shel Pesach. The focus will be on moving from the space of spiritual enslavement to freedom, from a place of scarcity to one of abundance, and from a limited consciousness to an expanded one. So in this week's class, I would like to discuss a commentary and share with you and explore a commentary from Rav Cook on freedom and actually the removal of chametz, the removal of the leaven, which is prior to the actual seder. This provides a wonderful context for us within which to understand the various steps, the 15 steps of the seder. So the title of this commentary is called Chayrut Ubi'or Chametz. Chayrut, which means freedom, and the removal of the chametz. Ela hashnaim ha-mesamnim lanu et chag ha-gu'ula, chag ha-pesach, zman chayrutenu. These two symbolize the holiday of liberation, the holiday of Pesach, the time of our freedom. V'ledorot ma'anachnu lomdim me'ele shnei hanosim halalu hatuluim zem bezeh? So Rav Cook asks, for our legacy, for our future, for our posterity, for our future generations, what can we learn from these two subjects that he believes are interdependent? Hatulim ze beze. It means they de- they really depend on each other, meaning freedom and the removal of chametz. So he begins the commentary with a question, which is very rabbinical. the eternal, forever lasting answer is. So first he begins by saying that the conditions for redemption really are twofold. That freedom itself, liberation, is is physical freedom. From all that which, from foreign enslavement. Mikol shibud hakofe etzelem elokim asheba adam. From all that subjugation which would push away, 
we should really subjugate one's image of the creator that is in the person. In other words, what is he, he's really saying something brilliant here. What is the tragedy? What is terrible about physical slavery? What's terrible about that, how he understands that, is this servitude when one human being is physically subjugated to another human being's rule, it's really the Salam Elohim. It's the image of God that the person has been created in. That is what's being subjugated. That is what's being enslaved. There's something inside of us beyond the physical that's being enslaved. And that's why he says the following, Liot Mishubad, where then a person becomes subjugated and enslaved, Lekokoach, to any, any power. Asherhu Morid, that demeans. The word Morid means to demean. It means to bring down, Lahorid, to demean et arko, the person's value, et feret gudulato, the very greatness of the glory of the person, v'hadarat kadsho, and the splendor of one's sacredness. So, can anyone suggest, in your words, what is it in physical enslavement that really is being enslaved here? What is the subjugation? It's like a spiritual subjugation. It leads to, yes, there's a bridge to a spiritual subjugation. Of course, the body is physically harmed. The body is physically restrained. And thank God, those of us in this class, in this room, and those of us who are listening to this to this podcast, Baruch Hashem, really, thank God, we don't know. We really don't know what it's like to be physically enslaved. But according to Rav Cook. It leads to a deeper dimension. It leads to another, another expression of enslavement. And this we all suffer from. So it begins by understanding that to Rav, from Rav Cook's understanding, what happened in Egypt as the prototype and every generation since, the severity of the enslavement, as painful as it was physically, cannot compare to the pain that our self-esteem, our self-respect, the integrity to our own being created in the image of God had to be compromised. And he continues, V'hachirut hazot eina naknit This, the, the freedom from this, meaning this first freedom, the freedom, the liberation of the physical this can never be acquired, ki'im, other than, except for, and just like you said, only through the freedom of the soul. There's a direct connection. We learned this several weeks ago in our other series, that Rav Cook not only believed we live in both, not only do is there the physical world, ha'olam ha'gashmi, and ha'olam ha'ruchani, the spiritual world, but we really live in both of them. And to the degree that we acknowledge that and express that and provide the needs that each of those worlds really call upon us 
to provide, that determines a lot of inner harmony, a lot of, a lot of balance between body and soul. So what he's saying here is that physical enslavement, which so involves the non-physical, is dependent on also spiritual freedom. One really affects the other. Hachirut, hachirut haruach, meaning a, a, the, the, the freedom, the liberation of the spirit, mikol mashahu mata'oto, it's beautiful. It's so poetic what he writes. He means that spiritual freedom means one is liberated. One is liberated from, from all that which would deviate, which would distract, which would turn one's spiritual sense of self aside from one's straight path, one's firm path that is yitzuka, that's cast, that's inherent in our very essence. So in our soul, just as we have physically in our lives, we have direction, we have career goals, family goals, we have different interests and they define our path of life, our maslul, or here he uses the word mesilata, the mesila, the, 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 uh, the way, the path of the soul. Likewise, the soul has a path, and it's actually inherent. We're born with it. We don't have to import it. At conception, with the, with the male and the female conceiving this incredible life together, there's also a third partner. And that third partner is God, the Creator, who invests in this tiny little cell of a body, the soul. And the soul also, from Rav, it's brilliant how Rav Cook matches this. It's, it, there's a parallel, just as the body needs to wake up in the morning and go out into the world and produce. And we also consume. We engage in the physical world. Likewise, our soul is born with an inner direction, an inner path. And spiritual liberation, what he calls chirut haruach, to have a free spirit, means one is determined not to deviate from that. One is determined, one is committed to remain faithful to that, to that path that is yeshara ve'itana. The word itana is from the word etan. It's actually a Hebrew name. Etan means to be strong. So this path and yeshara is the straight, strong path that one's become, one can become committed to. Aval, but there's a but. There's a but here. Aval, eleshnei sugea chirut, These two expressions or groups or classifications or types of freedom, HaChirut HaGuf and the Chirut HaRuach or the Chirut HaNeshama, these two, Einam Ba'im, they will never come to be. Never. Ve'ein ha'adam b'tor ishiyut pratit, v'lo ha'am b'tor kibbutz shalem, whether it be the individual person, or whether it be the whole collective of a people, Baal Ruach Miyuchad Zochelehem, 
where those where a whole people or the individual can experience this in this unique and merit this unique freedom kiim except al yadei habior mikol gvulo except it will only happen when one can remove one's own limitations now it's a play on words here because many of you may be familiar, be familiar with the term bior chametz which means the removal of the chametz the burning of the chametz and there's this big emphasis physically in removing the chametz however he's also going to now talk about another type of chametz spiritual chametz where chametz becomes a gavul. Gavul literally means boundary. It can also mean limitation, because it's the limitations of a nation's land, for example. Or in personal, like where is my, when we need to draw boundaries with each other, means where are my limitations? Ad Khan, I can only go up until this place. So he's saying that to attain, to really experience both physical freedom and spiritual freedom, one needs the bior of the gavulo, the removal of limitations. And he defines exactly what that means. Et kal et All that which hinders or hampers one's freedom. And each of us here are on a different journey. So each one of us experience different obstacles. This is the spiritual chametz. This is the yeast in the dough. Whose damage is more common. It's really fascinating. His insight is almost like he's now as a psychologist. He understands human behavior. That the damage that this can do to a person is more common when the very light of redemption is glittering, is shining upon the person. What does it mean by that? It's very poetic language here. Maybe you can relate to this in your own lives. Whenever you're getting ready to break out of something that's held you back, it could be in in your career. It could be in your family life. It could be in all your what's called extracurricular interests. It could be in in athletics and sports. It could be in drama. It can be in theater. It can be in in your spiritual life. Whatever it is, whatever it is, right when you're ready to break out and go beyond that which has held you back, there's something. That will always, it's like this whisper. Are you sure you're ready to do this? Do you really believe you can do this? Now, um, you know, those of those who are in the room in this class are all go-getters, are all A players. You all know what it's like to keep moving into some new space. And I dare say, according to what Rav Cook is saying, that the yeast that's in the dough the the saod shabisa the chametz the spiritual entity in your life that holds you back can hold you back the most just when you're ready to do it 
It just, I have to share a memory going way back. It was when I was in high school. And if anyone else would like to share an example, please, please don't be, don't hesitate. I wanted to go skiing, um, snow skiing for several years. And finally, I built up the courage. I mean, growing up on Long Island was not exactly the Alps, <laughs> but I think we had one hill on Long Island and that became a ski resort. <laughs> so, uh, some girlfriends of mine who were skiers, her whole, their whole family skied, agreed to take me um, and, and kind of like guide me for the day. For my fir- I was ready. I was really ready to do this. I rented the, all the equipment and, of course, I got the outfit and that's important. And I was just so excited. I get to the way, way, way top of the bunny slope <laughs> and there I am with these skis and the father of of these two girlfriends of mine, they were twins, was standing next to me. And he said, okay, it's now or never. And I said, there is no way I'm going down this huge mountain. I'm talking about a bunny slope, they, they called it, right? I said, look down. I said, how could I do this? I so wanted to. I so wanted to. But I didn't realize I was hearing Rav Cook at the time. I was all, what, 16, 15 years old, where he said the damage – of this gavul of our sense of limitations, that damage that it can cause is most great just when the light of redemption is most evident. So he said to me, are you sure you don't want to go? I said, well, I do want to go, but I, there's just no way I can. He said, no problem. And he pushed me. <laughs> he pushed me. And I, that began my love of skiing. That began my love. I thanked him so much. Because that voice that said, you can't, you shouldn't, what if, what if you fall? Of course, you, of course I fell. But what if, what if, but, but, but is strongest just when you're about to do it. So if any of you here would like to share any of your life examples of what that has been like, this is exactly what Ralph Cook is referring to. Is there anyone who would like to provide an insight? Or do you have a question on this? No. Okay. Pardon me? I can relate to what you're saying exactly. I have this image in my mind. Yeah. To share it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we we all understand. And actually, Rashi even says that there is a Rashi that discusses that, that is a commentary on the chametz or the yeast, the, that rising agent, that this is the evil inclination in our ego. It's ego-based because we become afraid to break past that self-imposed gavul. And that's more of the spiritual understanding of why we can't eat chametz on Pesach because the whole idea of Pesach, as Rav Cook is explaining, is freedom. So do you understand how he's connecting here freedom with Bior Chametz? They really go together. One is dependent on the other. So in summary of the, for the, we'll summarize the first paragraph, the physical enslavement is dependent on the spiritual freedom. I mean, physical freedom, physical liberation is dependent on spiritual liberation and spiritual um, freedom. However, both of them together are really toluim him. They're dependent on biyachametz. 
And that's why physically we go through, because physically, halachically, the mitzvah is also to remove physical chametz. But something much deeper is going on spiritually. So now he continues. And he says, he teaches us something beautiful here. And I want to preface this next paragraph by mentioning that when he's speaking, he's speaking to a group, he's speaking to an audience, it's us. This was, he passed in 1935, so he taught this in, in, the, in the 30s here in Yerushalayim. He was speaking to people and teaching to people then and to a degree now who were not accustomed, who were not used to, who, who have not adjusted to becoming at least spiritually free if not, God forbid, also physically enslaved. So he recognizes that if he's talking to the Am Yisrael, to Bnei Yisrael, to the nation of Israel, who have a history of galut around the world, which has not been so pleasant, there have been moments of proliferation of wonderful creative literature, of different movements, of different attempts to hold on, but basically the experience, Ben HaGoyim, has really not been that positive. There's been a lot of sadness and a lot of even, even physical enslavement in our history. So he realizes that it's as if he's saying to himself, what I just shared with the Hevra is beautiful, but maybe someone in the room will say, I don't know, though, if I could relate to that because of my personal history. I'm still in the middle of so much struggle here, living in Palestine under the British mandate, or my parents having barely escaped. Remember, he was teaching in 1935. It was Erev HaShoah. This was right on the eve of the Shoah. This was not an easy time for anybody. Well, it's Dafka in the Ashkenaz world, for sure. So he says the following, We must learn We must learn how to adjust, how to adapt. Lehistagel is to adjust oneself. How to adjust ourselves to this great spirit of freedom. We need what's called an attitude adjustment. Because yeah. We need a serious spiritual attitude adjustment in the most positive of ways because it's not something many of us are accustomed to, to really declaring our own spiritual independence. That for sure have shown upon us in a bright way in different periods in Jewish history. He's saying there have been moments in our past where we have experienced this. And that's what we need to adjust ourselves to. You know, when he was teaching in Yerushalayim in the early 30s, it was very difficult here. The poverty... The, it's not like Israel today. There was no, there was no cafe, cafe. There was no, you know, aroma cafe. The shuk was not the way the shuk is. 
I mean, I have beautiful, I have beautiful heat in my home. Thank God. I remember in the seventies and eighties when I lived in Swat, we didn't have heat. We had the kerosene heaters. In in the twenties and thirties, it was even more difficult than that. It was really, really hard. So he's saying, the freedom, the spirit, that great spirit of freedom, Haruach Hakadol Sholachirut. Surely, though, we did experience it in different tukufot. And not only in different periods in Jewish history, but the very first time, Va'asher Yitzhak Barak, when it went out like a lightning bolt. Now that's a quote from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah, in um, chapter 9, verse 14, uses the phrase of God's clear revelation He's referring to Hashem in that pasuk of revealing himself when we all could see God like a lightning bolt. You know, when a lightning bolt flashes in the sky, no one doubts it. Like, wow, it lights up the whole sky. So he's quoting that phrase, just like Yetzah Chabarak, just like a lightning bolt. That made its appearance at the very first redemption. That's what we today, Chevra, in 2016, Tafshin this is what we need to connect to. What it must have been like to experience that type of redemption, Gulat Mitzrayim, which is a re- the redemption from Egypt. That, we, that what happened to them then appeared to us, was revealed to us, it was a gilui. What was intrinsic in the redemption from Egypt? There was a revelation. God, the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He, in His glory, in His greatness, revealed Himself to us. We recite this in the actual Haggadah. And he brought us close to being in relationship with him, to being in service to and with him. That this is complete freedom. This is the total freedom. This is the epitome of Chirut. And what did he do? Veheirim otanu meshifluta shel he actually raised us from the lowliness of the subservience to a foreigner. Whose subservience was in vain. Now, I want you to picture this in your own lives. To go inside of yourselves and sense that piece of you. And this really is part of what the whole Haggadah is about. It's to help us go inside of ourselves using all of what we just learned in this paragraph as the metaphor. This is the history, but it's a metaphor for individual revelation of the divine presence of the Shekhinah within oneself. I will tell you in my own life journey, as I've shared with you before, there was no way I could have done what I needed to do without feeling the Shekhinah with me, without feeling the Divine Presence. That was my coming out of Mitzrayim. 
That was my my being able to be authentic to my own soul. I felt also I was not only spiritually enslaved, but physically enslaved. It as to use the Rob Cook's words, it was demeaning to my own being created in the image of God. And it was only when I could sense God's revealing herself as the Shekhinah in me personally was I able to take that first step out of Egypt. Could you imagine, could you imagine like the P.S. Etzner teaches us, really imagine yourselves during that time. You're in Egypt. You're a child. You're a teenager. You're a young parent. You're an older parent. You're an older person. Doesn't matter how old you are, but you've gotten used to being enslaved. What that first step out of the country of Egypt must have been like. This is what he's talking about. Just hold that thought for one moment in your own lives when you took that first step into a greater consciousness, into a place of abundance, into a place of possibilities, into a place of your own spiritual freedom. What that felt like. That's what he's talking about here. And he said, this is what we need to adjust ourselves to. So I want to read what he wrote it's a, it's a translation. It's not from his perush in the Hebrew, but it's a commentary that was translated elsewhere about Pesach, where Rav Cook says in the English, how are we to understand that unique freedom that is ours? How is it possible to adapt our reality to that freedom? And more to the point, he wants to get right to the point. How are we to fit that freedom to this new stage in our life when, by the grace of God, rays of national liberation have begun to shine upon us? He's talking about the establishment of the State of Israel. You know, in 1935, it's not like 2016. So all of you who have been blessed to visit the land of Israel, the State of Israel, Imagine what it was like to live in Yerushalayim in 1935 when he already had the vision, like the rays. It's like before the sun rises, there's that moment that you can see the rays of the sun, but it's actually before the sun rises. Spiritually, that's the time period he was living in. So after 2,000 years of this being like an impossibility. Again, think of your own lives, what you've done where five years ago you may have said, me? Impossible. Impossible. I look at my life now here in Yerushalayim and think back, impossible. He's talking to the Hevra in Yerushalayim and he uses the phrase, rays of national liberation. The sun has not yet risen. But the first rays we can already see. And he's saying, you know something? We need to get used to this. 
We actually need to get used to this. That's the word back in the second paragraph, the the uh, one, two, three, the fifth word in, lesagel. Remember that word. If there's any word to remember in Hebrew from that teaching, remember the word lesagel. It means we need to adapt. This doesn't come easy to be free. <laughs> and those of you who have, and I think all of you have experienced this, you know it's a little bit strange at first. It's a little bit different because we're not used to it. And with it comes insecurity. So then he continues. What's the real difference between a slave and someone who's free? It's not just the difference in status where someone is called a slave and someone is called a free person. Masha b'mikre ze hu meshubad la'achaya v'ze hu bilti meshubad, where in one case one person would be subservient to another, and another person would not be subservient to another. That's not the difference, or the only difference between a slave and a free person. Anu yecholim, and he says something here that is brilliant. Mamash brilliant. Anu yecholim limso eved maskil shuruchohu malechirut. We can we're able to find an educated slave. He doesn't mean formally educated, by the way. He does not mean formally educated. He means the person is self-educated enough, where one spirit is filled with freedom. U lehefach. And then the opposite, ben chorin shirucho hurach shal eved. Then there can be a free person whose spirit is the spirit of a slave. So we have in Jewish history, for example, I think of the refuseniks way back before the gates opened for Russian Jewry to make Aliyah. Look, I was in Israel. I was blessed to be at the Kotel when Sharansky was released and came from the airport to the Kotel. You would think Mashiach was coming. The, the, the sense of a week ago, two weeks before, three weeks before, this was impossible. All these refuseniks who physically were enslaved, they were not prisoners. You listen to them talking, you listen to their speeches, and what moved them through all these years of solitary confinement, of conditions that were horrendous. The previous, previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the father-in-law of the most recent Lubavitcher Rebbe, when he was sent to Siberia for the crime of, of organizing chaderim of little yeshivot throughout Russia, and how he was beaten, and how he was so abused by his captors. And, and he never wavered. He never wavered. He always, yeah, he always felt free. And even the warden of this, this terrible prison it was known for its implements of torture, asked him, you're an older rabbi. We don't understand. Our instruments of torture have made the most strong, vibrant, young people grovel at our feet for mercy to stop. We have been able to extract from them every secret they swore they would never reveal. And you... You're twice their age. You're a, a Jewish rabbi. 
and none of our instruments of torture work. And he said very simply, you all live in one world with many gods. I live in two worlds with one god. All you can do is move me from one world to the next. But you can't kill me because I'm not your slave. That's what Rav Cook means by you can be physically enslaved, but if you're an Eved Maskil, if you have a sense of who you really are, you're free. And yet, we can see people who are physically free, which is right now in the world, I don't know what percentage, but many more than 200 years ago, we take, adva- we take it for granted in, in the United States, in Israel, in most places in Europe, most places in North America, most places in the world. People are born into physical freedom. Yet, but not everyone, not everyone, unfortunately, not everyone. But those of us who are, he's saying we can be ben chorin, but the spirit is that of a slave. And what does he mean by that? Hachirut. The characteristic, the main, the main trait of the spirit, the exalted spirit, and whether it's the individual or that of a nation, when a nation is free, is when the person is actually raised up by one's own exalted spirit. Liot ne'eman. And this is the key word in this paragraph, to be faithful. Ne'eman la'atzmiyot ha'penimit shelo. To be faithful to one's own inner essence. Le'hatuchunah ha'nafshit shatzelem elokim. To be faithful to the very quality, the spiritual quality of the image of the Creator. Asher Bekirbo, that's within the person. When we can be faithful to this, and however each one of you expresses that in a different way. There's no halacha, there's no Jewish law that says this is how, that dictates, that instructs each one of us how to be faithful to our own image of God in whom we were created. But it's that it's being ne'eman, it's being faithful to that. Liot ne'eman la'atzmiyot apanit shelo, to be faithful to that, that image of God inside of us. and with this quality of faithfulness, efshalo, then a person, it's possible lahargish etchayav betochayim mangmatayim. That's when a person can feel a direction, a purpose in life. Shehim shavim archam, which gives value to a person's life. This is what we call chever, integrity. This is what we, when we go to sleep, we are excited to wake up the next morning for. Like, what are you excited to wake up in the morning for? If it's nothing, then maybe Rav Cook is suggesting Maybe you're experiencing spiritual enslavement, even though physically you're free. Is there anything that you're excited to jump out of bed for? You know, the very first halacha in Shulchan Aruch, it's an amazing halacha. You have to wake up in the morning and jump out of bed. 
and roar like a lion. I'm like, who are they talking to? <laughs> I remember <laughs> when I first learned that. I press, I want to press snooze. That's the last thing I want to do. But what he's saying here, if you are experiencing spiritual redemption, spiritual liberation, if you're maintaining integrity to yourself, to what defines you as you, you will jump out of the bed. The halakha is just really saying something in the physical that manifests a spiritual reality. And every time we hit snooze, you know what that says spiritually? I'm not ready to greet the day because I'm not ready to greet me. <coughs> yeah, think about that. Think about that. Ki'im b'mashahu yaf... Ah, so then I, I skipped a line. I'm sorry. Masha'en came. This is not the case. B'ba'al ha'ruach shel ha'avdut. With someone who is servile. It's meaning spiritually. Because for this person, that which, it's so sad, the content in that person's life, the content in his life and how this he or she feels, does not connect with one's spiritual character or spiritual trait in essence. So what is then the tochen connecting to? What is the content of a person's life revealing? Because the word here, also ma'orim, means to also illuminate. What is being illuminated here regarding the content of a person's life if it's not to one's inner self? Ki'im, rather, b'mashahu yafeh v'tov Rather to that which which is considered beautiful and good by someone else, and that someone else is Hasholet Alav as a Shlitashahi, and that someone else could also be an ideology, it could be a community, it could be a philosophy, it could be peer pressure, but it is governing over that person. It has authority over that person. Ben Shehi Rishimat, Ben Shehi Mosrit. Whether it's official, meaning like in a dictatorship, or whether it's Mosrit, or whether it's cultural. And that's what we see today. This is really what Rav Cook is addressing. That culturally, we start defining to ourselves what is considered nice, what is considered good, by those around us. What they say we should consider good, or we should consider beautiful. So we no longer have a sense of self. So, for example, when uh, we open the fashion magazine, what shall I buy this year to wear? Well, what, do, what does the fashion industry tell me to wear? I want to buy a new car. What is in style? Let me see. What is the auto industry telling me I should buy? I want to go on a vacation. What does the travel industry tell me where I should travel? But wait a minute. What do I want to wear? Where do I want to travel? What kind of car do I want to buy? Where's the I in all of this? 
So he's saying he's being he's giving such in such a succinct and clear way for us to understand the difference between being free and being enslaved can be very very subtle. It's not always obvious. Are there any questions? Are there any questions at this point? No, I I just had a thought, which is, you know, the examples that you're using are um, almost like at the societal level, right? And I think there's also um, that occurs very much at the interpersonal level when you're in relation with somebody and um, there's pressure from without to behave in a certain way, to react in a certain way, to give or give in in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And and conflict resolution, (laughs) conflict resolution, that term is when we feel that pressure and we feel that struggle and how to negotiate that. How to really negotiate my own sense of in- integrity, but not to be so self-consumed. And, and God forbid, he's not suggesting to go to the other extreme, that to be a free person means I live on my island in the world, and those who respect me, respect me. Those who like me, like me. Those who disagree, disagree. But yet, in my life, what's most important is me. He's not suggesting that at all. He's not suggesting that. What he is suggesting is that in order for me to really be present with everyone else, I need to be truly me. So when I'm in conflict, I need to learn how I, and that's the challenge. And let's rise. I could, you know, you can just hear him saying, rise to that challenge of negotiating, of being in dialogue, being in conversation. How can we both maintain integrity and find other ways and find other ways to be in relationship where our integrity is not being asked to be compromised because then I'm enslaved to you. I'm not in relationship with you. I'm enslaved to you. This is really under it all and thank you so much for raising that. That's such an important, important point because this does affect one-on-one interpersonal relationships, which is why the removal of the chametz is so important. All, all the, but I don't, but I won't, but I shouldn't, but I haven't, all those are the gavulim. All that is the chametz. What this requires to your point of one-on-one interpersonal relationships is creative thinking. Which is why in the introduction, I mentioned that much of what's happening here in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, starting with this very introduction, is to move from a limited consciousness. This is a concept in Kabbalah, a mochin de katnut, a limited consciousness, to an expanded consciousness to a greater, to a mochin de gadlut, to move from, I can't, I won't, what if, I haven't, I'm afraid, to, 
to quote Emily Dickinson, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite quotes, I dwell in possibility. Efshariot. What is possible? What can you and I come to together? What can we explore? So instead of it's an I and a me, or an I and a you, it's a we. And how can we each protect the me? This is what it means to come out of Mitzrayim. This is what real Chirut is. It's not just going to the top of the Himalayas and and being aloof from the world and saying, I've discovered and declared my own independence from the world. That's not what he's implying. Very much to the contrary. Very much to the contrary. Well, does anyone have any other insights or questions, examples? This is a good place to pause. This is a very good place to pause. The uh, we will discuss the rest next week. We will discuss the, the the rest next week. I'd like to open up the room for for a few minutes for discussion. Is this talking to you? Is it not talking to you? Are there parts you need you would like me to explain more, or you would like to review or explore? This is so crucial to really engaging in the 15 steps of the Seder. Because the 15 steps of the Seder are the 15 steps out of Egypt, out of our own inner Mitzrayim. And actually next week, Be'ezrat Hashem, will begin with the first step of Kadesh. But first, uh, let's, I'm opening up the room. Do any of you have any thoughts you want to share? To add what was just said about interpersonal relationships. Um, it, it almost, one of the things that is interesting about this to me is that this personal freedom seems to often um, it's often a challenge individually, say for me, but it also comes more difficult to my other or my partner because as I, as my awareness is growing and opening, it's pushing against that other person who, you know, previously had a different relationship with me or had a relationship with me that was based on me being a different person. So this personal freedom if you're in a relationship with someone, really is is a difficult thing, not just for you, but it's for the other person too, which ultimately is difficult for you as well. It, I mean, it's essentially what you were just talking about, Jessica, but it's bigger than just personal freedom. It's much bigger. It's much when, you're, bigger. when you're in a relationship with someone else. You and know, committed to relationship. You can encourage the other person also to follow your lead, which is yeah. one of our jobs, right? That's... Everyone has to be on their own time and their own path. I mean, that's ideal, but not you never know what the consequences will be. If you change, if you're in your life, you really do change. You never know what the consequences will be. I've had some positive um, feedback personally. It's something I can share about. Um, So, a few years ago, I started to become more spiritual and. more embrace more into my Judaism. Um, and I'd share this with my family and with my friends. And one by one, 
I noticed other people in my life started to want to know more and want to express their own, you know, whether they were Jewish or Unitarian or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they saw me doing it and they found that it was something that they were interested in. And the quality of the conversation amidst my core people and my family has gone way up. We're a lot more supportive of each other. And there's this where it used to be, oh, I don't want to touch that because that's not modern or they don't know what they're talking about. It's so old. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's become more of, hey, let's look at this old and see the new in it and really make a new life. Beautiful. You know, I would like to suggest, and thank you all for these insights and engagement. It's just exquisite. I would like to conclude on this note and give you this as a spiritual homework assignment to consider this during your week before we meet Bezrat Hashem, please God, next week. That part of honoring the image of God in who that we were all created the maintaining integrity to what? It's the Tzalem Elohim, not the ego. It's the image of God in whom we were created, is to be godly with our partners, with our community, with our, with our work environment, with our family environment. What does that mean, to be godly? To be compassionate, to be patient, to really be supportive, to hold the other, to really inform in the narrative so the other feels supported. There's no better way, there's no better way to be more maintaining an integrity to oneself than including all those, even those who question and have trouble, as long as they feel they're heard and we have compassion Having chemla, we, there's the phrase, going through life with chen, with a sense of beauty, with chesed, with kindness, and with compassion. This is what it means to honor the Tzalem Elohim, the very image of the Creator inside of us in whom we were created in. So it's not too bad if you don't like me. That's ego-based. That's also fear-based. That's, that's a limited consciousness. It could be just a simple question. What would you like me to do to support you in really understanding me the way I'm moving? Or for you to feel more comfortable, what can I do? How can I hear you? How can I behave? That's informing the narrative. That's engaging in the dialogue with compassion, with love. And this is what it means to be godly. This is real freedom. When we don't resort to that knee-jerk, reactive, ego-based behavior because, oh my gosh, I'm being pushed up against the wall just when I'm declaring my independence and my sense of self-freedom. Mamash, mamash, mamash. I emphasize it's so to the contrary. So I bless all of you. Consider that during the week in your engagements with your loved ones, your spouse, your partners, your husbands, your wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, your children, parents, your work colleagues, your friends, your community. Hear people 
that way and speak to people that way from a place of your own authenticity. And may you experience, begin to experience this chirut haruach, this freedom of the spirit. Okay, we'll continue next week and then we'll move on with, with this teaching and then we'll move on to the first and if not, maybe even the first two steps of the, of the Haggadah Shal Pesach. Thank you all. God bless. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more original Torah content, visit almad.pardes.org.